This podcast deals with adult subject matter, including depictions of drug addiction, prostitution, sexual assault, and rape. Parental guidance is suggested. Officer Daniel Holtzclaw with the police department for three years is accused of raping and sexually assaulting women he pulled over while on the job. He said, come on, come on, just a minute, just a minute. I said, sir, I can't do this. I said, you gonna shoot. Tell me your description of him. He's black. Blackmail. What did your daughter tell you? She said, I met this really hot cop. So this is good evidence? Well, you tell me. The following episode contains investigative events which occurred on September 16th, 2014. Welcome back to Bates Investigates, Season 1, In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw. I am your host, private investigator and original member of Daniel Holtzclaw's jury trial defense team, Brian Bates. And this is Episode 23. In the last episode, I caught you up to date and introduced you to Holtzclaw accuser Kayla Lyles. Lyles, a 29-year-old black female who resides in Northeast Oklahoma City, accused Oklahoma City Patrol Officer Daniel Holtzclaw of detaining her and then taking her to what is often described as a, quote, abandoned schoolyard. There, he forced her to perform oral sex upon him and then vaginally raped her. Lyles's allegations are very similar to accuser Sherry Ellis. And, as with Ellis's accusations, Lyles's account has some serious red flags. In this episode, I will delve deep into the details of her assertions, where those assertions are supported, and where the facts put those details in doubt. I will also point out glaring flaws within the investigation. So let's begin. The following is a recap of Kayla Lyles' allegations as told to Oklahoma City Police sex crimes detectives Kim Davis and Valerie Homan on September 16 of 2014. Lyles claims that she doesn't know the month of the alleged rape, but that she recalled it was at night and that it was warm outside, so she estimates it was summertime. At the time of the incident, she was staying weekly at the Relax Inn on Northeast 23rd with her longtime boyfriend, a man identified as 41-year-old James Anthony Anderson. According to Lyles, earlier that evening she had gotten into a verbal altercation with Anderson and had left the motel on foot and went for a walk, just to clear her head, though the two did remain in contact via her cell phone. It was while walking eastbound on Northeast 16th Street and talking on her phone that she said that she was approached by Officer Holtzclaw, who was out on patrol in his newer model all-black police car. Lyle said that Anderson told her to hang up the phone, so she did. Holtzclaw stopped, exited, and asked her what she was up to. Lyle says she told him about the argument with Anderson and that she was walking to a friend's house. Holtzclaw placed her in the back of his patrol car and ran her name for any outstanding warrants. She didn't recall how he ran her for warrants and doesn't recall hearing anyone on the radio, but she did remember that Holtzclaw told her that she was clear. The officer made some mention to Lyles that it was late. She shouldn't be out walking in such a high crime area and asked to give her a ride back to the Relax Inn. Lyles initially declined the offer, but stated that the officer insisted, 
Not wanting to get in any trouble, and already being in the back of the patrol car, she relented. But she had one request, that he not take her all the way to the motel, and that he let her out before they got there, somewhere along North Highland Drive. She specifically did not want people in the neighborhood seeing her get dropped off by a marked patrol car, for fear she would be labeled a snitch. Lyle said Officer Holtzclaw drove east on Northeast 16th to Highland, then north on Highland to Northeast 18th Street. He then turned right, or east, on 18th and proceeded towards the infamous abandoned schoolyard. As I pointed out previously, the property is the former location of the now vacated John Wesley Charter School, which was originally the home of Creston Hills Elementary. The property, which contains the boarded-up school buildings, also is home to a neighborhood public park and playground. Lyle said that Holtzclaw parked his patrol car near or between two of the outbuildings. He then exited and opened her door. Lyle's turned and placed her feet outside of the car and onto the ground. Lyle's noticed that the officer kept grabbing at his penis over the top of his uniform pants. She said the officer told her that he needed to make sure she didn't have any drugs or paraphernalia on her. She said she was instructed to expose her breasts by lifting her shirt. She said the officer then exclaimed, quote, I bet that pussy is wet, end quote. Lyle said that she was too shocked by the comment to respond, and that the officer then immediately pulled his pants halfway down, exposing his penis, and then forced her to put it in her mouth while she remained seated in the back of his patrol car. The officer then told Lyles he needed to make certain she didn't have drugs hidden inside her underwear or vagina. She was instructed to lower her pants, turn around, and bend over, facing inside the patrol car. Lyles claims that at that point, the officer then inserted his penis into her vagina. She said he wasn't wearing a condom and that the vaginal rape lasted 5 to 10 minutes. When asked, she said she didn't think the officer ejaculated because nothing leaked out of her. She did state, however, that something kept hitting her on her buttocks. She thought it was his gun or radio. She said she asked him to move it, but doesn't recall his response. Lyle said the only comments he made during the rape were moaning sounds and something to the effect of, oh yeah, oh yeah. Lyle's wasn't certain what caused the rape to stop. She stated she thought the officer got a dispatch or that maybe a car had driven by on Miramar and spooked him. Regardless, when it was over, the officer allegedly told her, quote, I want to see you tomorrow night around the same time, end quote. And with that, the officer simply got back in his patrol car and drove away, leaving Lyles to walk the rest of the way home. Lyles told Detective Davis that she hasn't seen the officer since the rape, but that she had encountered the same officer previously. She said he pulled her and her boyfriend James Anderson over about a year ago and wrote her tickets for no driver's license and then let her go. Lyles confirmed that she had seen Officer Daniel Holtzclaw's face on the news after he was arrested, and that she came forward because she knew there was a, quote, time limit, and she didn't want to see him let go. Detective Davis then obtained a buckle swab DNA sample from Lyles and left. When Davis returned to her office, she called Lyles' boyfriend, James Anderson. 
Anderson told Davis that he has dated Lyles for six or seven years and that they have lived together for the past five years. When asked, Anderson said he recalled an event that had happened in the past. He didn't recall the date, but thought it was warm outside and that it was after 1 a.m. He said that he and Lyles got into an argument about some cleaning he hadn't done and that Lyles left for a walk, to cool down, but that they were talking on their cell phone as she walked. At some point, Lyles told him a patrol car was pulling up and stopping her. In contrast to what Lyles told Detective Davis, Anderson said he tried to convince her to leave the line open during the stop, but that they were disconnected. He said he tried calling back repeatedly for over an hour, but that she never answered. Anderson said when he next heard from her, she called him and she was crying. Lyle said she had been, quote, harassed by a police officer. Anderson claims he told Lyles he would come to her and walk with her back home. She said she didn't want him to do that because she was fearful what the officer might do if he saw them together. Anderson said that Lyles arrived back at the Relax Inn 10 to 15 minutes later and claimed that the police officer had, quote, taken her between portable buildings of a school, pulled up her skirt, and rubbed his penis between the crack of her pussy and butt, end quote. Anderson said he told her to call downtown and talk to someone about it, but that Lyles refused, saying that she feared the police would come back and kill her. He said that they never talked about it again until Lyles told him detectives had contacted her mother. Anderson provided Detective Davis with his and Lyles' phone numbers at the time so Davis could subpoena the records. That same day, Kayla Lyles' probation and parole officer, Jack Bowling, prepared a written account of his perspective of Kayla Lyles' allegations and how they came about. I've posted a copy of that document on this episode's homepage at HoldsClawTrial.com. After speaking to Bowling, Lyles, and Anderson, Detective Davis went to work trying to corroborate the allegations. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, Detective Davis was able to find three instances from April to June of 2014 where it appears Officer Holtzclaw did have direct contact with Kayla Lyles. According to police records, Officer Holtzclaw ran Lyles through police databases on April 9th, May 6th, and June 18th. Davis next pulled Kayla Lyles' city ticket history. Remember, Lyles was certain that Officer Holtzclaw had pulled her over about a year ago and written her and her boyfriend tickets before letting them go. Lyles' ticket history showed only one instance where she was pulled over during that time period and issued any city citations related to no driver's license. It was March of 2013. The tickets were for no insurance, no current vehicle tag, and no driver's license. But there's a problem. Lyles wasn't stopped by Officer Holtzclaw. She was stopped and ticketed by a Spring Lake Patrol officer identified as a Mr. Alan Cruz. Detective Davis next pulled Holtzclaw's AVL, or Automatic Vehicle Locator, for each of those dates. And she's in luck. Holtzclaw's patrol car AVL and computer history shows that on June 18th, 2014, he stopped Lyles near Northeast 16th Street and Lottie at around 1.26 a.m., and that a few minutes later, he proceeded down Northeast 18th Street. There, at around 1.36 a.m., he jumps the curb and drives into the infamous abandoned school property. 
A few minutes later, he emerges on Miramar and drives north. To Detective Davis, this is all the corroborating evidence she needs. As with all the accusers, there is a lot to unpack here, so I'll start with what gives Kayla Lyles' allegations a measure of credibility. And as I've repeatedly stated, I'm going to be completely transparent and not hide anything that casts doubt on Holtzclaw's innocence. For starters, Kayla Lyles has been described as one of the few accusers who came forward on her own to make the allegations against Officer Holtzclaw. You'll recall she confided in her probation officer about the rape, and that it was the probation officer who got into direct contact with Detective Davis. Now, I'm going to take issue with that stance in just a bit, but for now, it is at least, on the surface, an assertion in her favor. More importantly, however, is the fact that Lyles' allegations are extremely similar to those of another accuser, Sherry Ellis. You'll recall I covered Ellis's allegations in episodes 8 and 9. In her case, she too says she encountered Officer Holtzclaw while walking, that he forced her to perform oral sex upon him and then also raped her while on the same vacant school and public park property. And even though Lyles admits she watched and read details about Holtzclaw's arrest prior to coming forward, I've independently confirmed that none of Ellis's allegations or the location of her assault had been made public at that time. Meaning, either she's telling the truth, knows Ellis and they compared notes prior to her allegations, or that by sheer coincidence, Lyles is making allegations that almost mirror Ellis's. Keep in mind, however, that even though Ellis's name and allegations were not yet public, the fact that Officer Holtzclaw was accused of making women expose themselves and allegedly orally and vaginally raping them was public knowledge. Another point in Lyles's favor. Daniel Holtzclaw's patrol car AVL, or GPS, seems to back up her allegations. At least as far as where she first encountered Holtzclaw and the assertion she was taken to a vacant school and public park property and that his patrol car remained parked in that area for several minutes. A fact that Holtzclaw neglected to radio in or even note in his daily activity log. But this is far from an open and shut case. And, like so many of the other accusers, Lyles' version of events and how they were investigated have some very serious issues. First, let's look at exactly how her allegations came to light. While it's true that she confided in her probation officer, Jack Bowling, and that he in turn directly contacted Detective Davis, what often gets missed is the fact that Lyles only made the allegations after first missing her scheduled and mandatory August 2014 probation meeting, and only after Detective Davis visited her parents' home and told them she was looking for their daughter, and after Holtzclaw's name, face, and details of his arrest had been made very public. Kayla Lyles, a convicted felon, was on probation at the time for possession of cocaine with intent to distribute and possession of marijuana. Her probation required her to meet in person with her probation officer every month and to attend specific classes. 
only after three months and Lyle showing up for her September 16, 2014 probation meeting and faced with being revoked for missing the prior meeting and not attending her classes, did she suddenly reveal the alleged rape perpetrated by Officer Holtzclaw. Probation Officer Bowling said he asked Lyles what she had been up to over the last month when she didn't show up for her meeting. Lyles reportedly replied that, quote, she had been going through a lot and that her boyfriend had suffered two heart attacks and that she was raped by the Oklahoma City police officer that has been all over the news. Here's the problem as I see it. It will later be alleged that Officer Daniel Holtzclaw raped Kayla Lyles during the early morning hours of June 18, 2014. Yes, the same day he allegedly also orally sodomized accuser Janie Liggins. I'll get more into that in a bit. According to the investigative timeline, Lyles is raped on June 18th and then shows up for her July probation appointment with Officer Bowling. She makes no mention of being raped by Officer Holtzclaw at that meeting. However, we are supposed to believe she suddenly became so traumatized the following month that she did miss her August meeting and her required classes. An absence that very well could have resulted in her probation being revoked and sending her to prison for up to six years. Additionally, not only is Lyles aware that an Oklahoma City police officer she has been in contact with on several occasions is now accused of multiple rapes, but she is also aware that in July, Detective Kim Davis went to her parents' home and was looking for her to question her about her possibly being the victim of a sexual assault by an Oklahoma City police officer. Regardless, we do know that Officer Holtzclaw encountered Kayla Lyles in the early morning hours of June 18, 2014. And we know it because he called the stop in. Here is the actual radio transmission from that initial stop. Wednesday, June 18, 0120 Wednesday, June 18, 2014. According to Holtzclaw's AVL, he put his patrol car in park near Northeast 16th and Lottie at approximately 1.23 a.m. During that time, we know he confronted Lyles, had some sort of conversation with her, and ran her for warrants. She came back clean. Officer Holtzclaw's patrol car began moving again at around 1.30 a.m., or about seven minutes later. According to his AVL, he drove east on northeast 16th to Highland, then north on Highland two blocks to northeast 18th Street. There, he turned right and drove to where 18th ends at the schoolyard and park. AVL shows his patrol car left the grid or jumped the curb at about 1.37 a.m., a few seconds later, the patrol car is once again parked, this time until approximately 1.47 a.m., or about 10 minutes. 
Holtzclaw's patrol car then continues eastbound across the school and park property until he comes to Miramar and then leaves the area headed north. Some people would argue that roughly 10 minutes is plenty of time to orally sodomize and vaginally rape someone. Others would say they are not so convinced. So what do I think the evidence supports actually happened? It's without question that Oklahoma City Police Officer Daniel Holtzclaw was out patrolling the Spring Lake District when he saw Lyles walking near Northeast 16th and Lottie at about 1.25 a.m. Being that it was late at night in a high crime area with lots of drug dealing, gang activity, and street-level prostitution, he stops and inquires with Lyles as to what she's up to. She says she's arguing with her boyfriend and just taking a walk, but she also claims she first mentioned that she's coming from a friend's house, but also going to a friend's house, but is now apparently headed back to her boyfriend's place at the Relax Inn. Lyles doesn't have any warrants, but Holtzclaw knows she has a prior conviction for drug dealing. She's giving conflicting stories about what she's up to, and she's over a mile and a half from her motel. Holtzclaw is most likely suspicious that she is actually out dealing drugs or is out prostituting or trying to score drugs. So he offers her a ride back to her motel to see if he can get a better handle on what she's actually up to and also see if she is willing to share any information about the local criminal element. The strategy of transporting individuals to get information from them is obviously nothing new or unique to Holtzclaw. Lyles herself says that if she's seen in the patrol car, the locals will assume that she is a snitch. Holtzclaw agrees to take her part of the way to the motel and then let her out. The school or park property is often patrolled by police looking for gang members, loiterers, or vandals. So his patrol car pulling into the area, even leaving the roadway and stopping, would not seem out of the ordinary. Plus, it is out of the way just enough to let Lyles out without anyone seeing her. When they arrive, Holtzclaw has been unable to get any valuable intel from her. So, he lets her out of the vehicle and, as she claimed, she walks away before the officer drives on. We know from AVL data that Holtzclaw's patrol car was only parked for about 10 minutes. If you conservatively take out, say, 2 minutes to park exit the vehicle and chit-chat, and one to two minutes for her to walk away, that leaves you with six to seven minutes to perpetuate two sexual assaults Lyles alleges happened. Is it physically possible? Probably. Is it probable? I have serious doubts. And those doubts are only amplified when you take a closer look at the details of Kayla Lyles' allegations and how those allegations have changed over time. Lyles claims that when she first encountered Officer Holtzclaw that her boyfriend James told her to hang up, but James claims he told her to keep the line open. Lyles later claims that Holtzclaw told her to hang up and that he even took her phone from her. Yet, she never mentions him giving the phone back. I personally feel she either hung up when she saw the officer or he may have indeed simply told her to put the phone up. Regardless, it's a minor discrepancy. Next, there is the issue of what Lyles was wearing on the night of her alleged rape. In her first version of events, she couldn't remember exactly what she had on, but described it as panties, pants, a shirt, and bra. 
Later at preliminary hearing, and then again at trial, Lyles would claim she was wearing a one-piece dress. That is completely different and troublesome when compared to the original version of events. In her first version of events, she raised her shirt. She also claimed she was made to lower her pants and panties to show she wasn't hiding any contraband. At preliminary hearing and trial, it's now a one-piece dress which would mean she'd have to raise the entire dress up to expose her breasts, and that there were no pants to lower to expose her panties or vagina. She also described being compelled to perform the clasp and shake. She literally says she was made to lift up her shirt and bra and, quote, shake, from page 91 of the preliminary hearing transcript. She also originally stated that the exposing of her breasts and vagina occurred while she sat in the back seat of the patrol car. This would later change to while she was standing during the preliminary hearing. Detective Davis also noted in her initial report that Officer Holtzclaw, quote, touched her breasts while he was searching her. At preliminary hearing, however, when questioned, Lyles now claims that Officer Holtzclaw did not actually touch her while searching her. This claim results in criminal count number 19 being changed from sexual battery to procuring lewd exhibition. Regardless of sitting or standing, shirts or pants or dress, touching or not touching, Lyles is certain she was being illuminated by the dome light in Holtzclaw's patrol car. However, Holtzclaw assured me during our conversations that that was not possible. He said that while serving a stint with the Oklahoma City gang unit, he was encouraged to disable his patrol car dome light for safety reasons. Officer Holtzclaw says the gang officers instilled in him that having that dome light on while on night patrol made you an unnecessary target. It also exposed any passenger sitting in the car made it harder to see out of the patrol car, and also caused your eyes to have to adjust and readjust when getting in or out of the car. Holtzclaw's patrol car dome light was never tested by the prosecution when they searched his vehicle on multiple occasions. Another significant change in her story. During her initial interview, she is clear that she was seated in the back of the patrol car with her feet outside and on the ground when she was made to perform oral sex on Officer Holtzclaw. At prelim, she's still seated in the car, but now her feet are also in the car. At trial, she has changed this to standing outside the car to expose herself and then squatting to perform oral sex. Lyles also appears to start to claim that the officer didn't run her for warrants until they got to the school property. But prosecutor Galen Giger, seeing this glaring inconsistency, cuts her off in mid-sentence, as evident on page 91 of the preliminary hearing transcript. Then, there's the most glaring inconsistency that I think implicates Detective Davis and or prosecutor Galen Giger for impropriety. Lyles is very clear in her initial statement that Officer Holtzclaw, while facing her, and she is seated in the patrol car, unfastened his pants and, quote, pulled his pants halfway down and exposed his erect penis. Here it is again in her own words. Let's, let's talk about the head first. Did he okay. pull his pants down for the head? He put them just halfway. There's a problem. 
that doesn't match any previous statement by any other accuser. Up to this point, it's been consistent. Holtzclaw's penis just magically appears through his zipper hole. But, unexplainably and conveniently enough, by the time we get to trial, this error has been corrected. Lyles now claims Holtzclaw never lowered his pants halfway down his legs, and instead, you guessed it, simply left his pants fastened and exposed his penis through his zipper. In fact, there's this quote from page 3625 of the jury trial transcript. Kayla Lyles says the following quote, He just pulled it out and he just started raping me, I guess, end quote. Am I saying I think Detective Davis and or Prosecutor Galen Gigger told Lyles to change her story? I think it's 100% possible and even probable. And the opportunity for such an interaction was captured in the jury trial transcript on page 3664. Question to Kayla Lyles by Prosecutor Galen Gigger, quote, In fact, whenever Detective Davis and I talked to you before today, where were you? Answer, in jail. Folks, I'm here to tell you, there is not a single report or recording of any meeting that Prosecutor Galen Gigger or Detective Kim Davis had with accuser Kayla Lyles while she was incarcerated in jail and most vulnerable and most susceptible to suggestion by the prosecution. This is just another of dozens of examples of times we know the prosecution has met with accusers in private and not bothered to document or record those interactions. Yet, miraculously, after such interactions, details are buttoned up and accusers fall in line. But I digress. Back to the alleged oral sodomy. At preliminary hearing, Lyle simply can't recall if Officer Holtzclaw ejaculated in her mouth. In fact, now, at trial, she can't quite get the order of events to match her original statement. Originally, Lyle stated that she was seated in the patrol car, forced to perform oral sex, then removed from the patrol car, bent over, and vaginally raped. That series of events changes too. Now, she gets out of the car, is bent over and vaginally raped, and then turns around and squats to perform oral sex. When confronted about the inconsistency, she replies that it was, quote, back and forth, that Holtzclaw apparently went back and forth between vaginal and oral sex multiple times. Yet, her story, at any time that she's told it, only claims there was one instance of oral sex and one instance of vaginal sex. The, quote, back and forth is simply her oh shit moment when she knows she screwed up. What she does go back and forth on at the preliminary hearing is what she is wearing. In one sentence, she's pulling down pants. In another, she's wearing a dress. At trial, she simply gives up and says she doesn't recall at all what she was wearing. While I admit a person might not recall what type or color of pants they were wearing, or even if maybe they were shorts or long pants, but there is a huge difference between something with legs in them and a dress when you're talking about exposing your breasts, your vagina, and being forced to engage in vaginal sex. During her initial interview and at preliminary hearing, she maintains the vaginal rape lasted for up to 10 minutes. 
which could fall within the timeline supported by the AVL. At trial, however, she's upped the estimate to 20 to 30 minutes, which is in no way supported by the AVL. In every retelling of her allegations, Lyles claims that Officer Holtzclaw made the comment, quote, I bet that pussy is wet, end quote. Nowhere else, and not from any other accuser, do we hear this inappropriate statement. In fact, when you go back to Officer Holtzclaw's video-recorded interrogation, it is clear he is very uncomfortable with such language. People are creatures of habit, and that includes our vernacular. Yet, any time an accuser claims a shocking and inappropriate quote is made by Officer Holtzclaw, that same quote never resurfaces from any other accuser. I find that very telling. During her initial interview, Lyles is unclear as to who left the area first when the alleged rape ended. However, at preliminary hearing, she states that she didn't see for certain where Holtzclaw went because he remained parked as she walked away. But Lyles takes it a step further at trial. She claims that as she walked home and was in the area of Southeast 22nd and Fairmont, that Holtzclaw drove down the street that she was on, as if he was following her. She said she ducked down by a vacant building, but could see it was Holtzclaw driving. This assertion was not made during her initial interview, and is not supported by Holtzclaw's patrol car AVL, and the prosecution knows it, and even tried to get her to backtrack, but she doesn't. In fact, she ups the ante even more. Remember how she claimed that Officer Holtzclaw told her, quote, he wanted to see her again the next night? Well, at trial, on page 3,633 of the transcript, she testifies that, quote, a couple of days after that, it seemed like he was circling the parking lot, end quote. She even added, quote, because he knew where I was at. The problem, as we all know, Holtzclaw was placed on administrative leave on June 18, 2014, and couldn't have been circling the parking lot, stalking Lyles days later. When you take everything into consideration, there are problems on both sides. There is no direct forensic evidence to support Kayla Lyles' claims. There are no independent witnesses to any criminal activity. Her version of events what order they occurred in, even down to what she was wearing, seems to change on a whim. Holtzclaw's pants were unbuckled and pulled down, conveniently becomes simply unzipped after meeting with detectives and the prosecution. And the accuser claims she was stalked after we know Holtzclaw was no longer on duty. But we also don't have an answer as to why Holtzclaw transported a female without calling it in or indicating a transport on his daily activity log? And how is it that we have a second female claiming that she was taken to the same school and park property and sexually assaulted, both orally and vaginally? When it comes to credibility, for me personally, I go back to how these allegations surfaced. Kayla Lyles claims that she was raped on June 18th of 2014 yet she makes no mention of the rape in her July probation meeting. She then misses her August meeting and fails to attend her required classes. Also, during this time, she is made aware that an officer she has come into contact with on at least three occasions is being accused of rape. 
She also knows a sex crimes detective is trying to find her regarding a possible sexual assault. She needs a way to avoid having her probation revoked and being sent to prison. But calling the sex crimes detective back isn't going to accomplish that, even though she claims that she didn't know who to report the crime to, but felt she needed to report it now, three months later, because she knew that there was a time limit and didn't want to see the officer let go. Here, hear it again in her own words. What made you finally come to call today? It was, I knew it was like a, almost like a deadline and I've been watching the news and I guess it's like if nobody else like will come forward with them, they would probably let them go and I didn't want that to happen. You probably recall this is exactly the reason admitted false accuser Shanice Barksdale from episode 18 forwarded when she lied about being sexually assaulted by Holtzclaw. Regardless, Lyles needs to make the rape allegation to her probation officer and use it as her excuse as to why she isn't compliant. And it works. There is no attempt to revoke her probation or send her to prison after she makes her rape allegation. In fact, in the near future, she will commit another felony crime and be given yet another suspended sentence and even more probation after agreeing to cooperate in Holtzclaw's prosecution. And lastly, for Kayla Lyles' allegations to be true, we have to believe she was sodomized and vaginally raped by Officer Holtzclaw and then that he encountered accuser Janie Liggins less than 15 minutes later and orally sodomized her too. But it doesn't end there. A third accuser will come forward and say she too was vaginally raped during this same patrol shift. The real question becomes, how will the jury weigh all of the evidence and the inconsistencies? That question will be answered in a future episode. In the next episode, more questionable behavior by Officer Daniel Holtzclaw when an accuser comes forward and says that not only was she raped by the officer, but that it happened while she was handcuffed to a hospital bed, and that Holtzclaw then contacted her on Facebook and even came to her home in his private vehicle. But those details are for the next time we meet. If you want to see all of the police reports and other documents used to compile this episode, please visit this episode's homepage at HoltzclawTrial.com. This serialized podcast of the state of Oklahoma versus Daniel Holtzclaw follows the timeline and perspective of the prosecution, but with the scrutiny of the defense. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. You can also follow updates on this season's Facebook page at In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw or on Twitter and Instagram at Holtzclaw Trial. Bates Investigates Season 1 in Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw is researched, produced, and edited by me, Brian Bates. This has been a Bug Stomper production. Huh? <laughs> Bugs.